This morning, we have reached the end of our sermon series on Philippians because Paul has pretty much written most everything that he wanted to communicate with the followers of Christ that are in that were in the Greek city of Philippi. Now he just needs to wrap it up and send it. But think about this for a moment. Paul is in prison, still awaiting a trial that he knows may end with a death sentence. He has no way as he's writing this letter, if he will ever see these folks to whom he's writing again, face to face. He may not even be sure if he will ever be able to write another letter to them. And Paul loves these people dearly. He feels responsible as well for their faith and for them as a congregation. The only reason that they are a church, a congregation of Christians in Philippi is because of him, because of Paul. No one in that city had even heard of Jesus of Nazareth until Paul came to town and started telling them the stories. And Paul's telling of these stories was so powerful, and the Holy Spirit was with them in such a way that these folks came to believe that Jesus was a, was a man, was a human being, but also somehow God in flesh and blood come to visit the earth. And that somehow, even after he had been executed, three days later, he rose from the land of the dead to new life. And they believed that his spirit filled their souls and in some strange and, and miraculous way united them with God. All because of Paul sharing with them the stories and the experiences he had of Jesus. As Paul <coughs> sits in prison in Rome, he is acutely aware that these friends of his who believe in Jesus are just starting out in this whole new religion, this whole new faith, this whole new way of seeing the world and living in the world. And Paul also knows that those beliefs and all this new way of life expose them to persecution, particularly by the government because they now declare Jesus as Lord and not Caesar. And all of this weighs on Paul's heart and mind as he writes. So how do you close a letter like that? What, do you, what words do you end with? Well, Paul closes this letter by directing their gaze to the sources of strength and hope for the present and for the future. Paul calls on these friends of his, these followers of Jesus, to behold the glory of God 
and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ all around them and within them. In verse 20, Paul writes, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. To God be glory forever and ever. Paul had actually just thanked, we saw this last week, just thanked the Philippians for the gift of money that they had sent to him and for Epaphroditus coming, bringing it by hand and visiting as well. And he had acknowledged that certainly their, their uh, gift had helped him and they had been very generous to him throughout and that their giving had helped their own relationship with God and affirming how sharing with others whatever it is that we have to offer fulfills the way of life that God desires for all people. But Paul follows that up, that acknowledgement, with this declaration to God and our Father, our God and Father, be glory. To God be glory. Paul doesn't say, glory be to you, Philippians, for the money you sent me. Paul doesn't say, glory be to me because of all that I have done for you. Even though they've, done, they've all done good things, Paul says, glory be to God. For Paul, all that happens in this world that is good or beautiful or true or right, all of it originates from God, from God's goodness and beauty and truth. All that is good and beautiful and true and right and powerful and wonderful is an expression of God's glorious being. Lynn Kohick, who was a dean of seminary, uh, Denver Seminary, captures the, the height and depth and breadth of God's glory when she writes about this passage. The beauty, power, and majesty of the cosmos and the subatomic particle and everything in between belong to God. So Paul says, give credit where credit is due. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is what those with a heart for God have always done themselves and encouraged others to do. Again, David, in this psalm that he shared with Asaph and his associates, give thanks to the Lord. Make known among the nations what God has done. Sing to God, sing praise to God, tell of all God's wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and the Lord's strength. Seek the face of God always. Remember the, the wonders that God has done, the miracles, the judgments that God has pronounced. O descendants of Israel, O sons of Jacob. Glory in it and, and remind each other about it and tell others about these glorious things. Give glory to God. Paul then urges greetings all around. 
Greet all the the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are here with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings. Greetings everywhere. Paul, wherever Paul went, he encouraged these relationships of connection uh, amongst followers of Jesus. Paul believed that all Christians are united by a common spirit. The Holy Spirit of Christ unites us all. And Paul knew that all these scattered congregations around uh, the Palestine area and now stretching into Europe, there are all these congregations of believers in Jesus in all these various locations, they needed to know that they were not alone as they're just starting out in all of this. And so he's always passing along greetings from Christians in one group to Christians in another group. And in this particular greeting, Paul adds a unique line. He says, in addition to all the saints here, Uh, send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household, to the emperor's household. We know that Paul was kept for a time in a prison in Rome that was below Nero's palace. It was in the basement, the underneath part of the palace. We don't know any of the specific details about who amongst this palace uh, workforce were the ones who were believers in Jesus. But we do know that the Philippians would have been greatly encouraged by hearing that there were people like them believers in Jesus in in the emperor's palace, that close to the heart of the emperor and the empire himself. Gordon Fee, one of my former professors, writes, by incarcerating Paul at the heart of the empire, they have thus brought in a member of the opposition who is in the process of creating a fifth column within the very walls of the emperor's domicile. Paul either has found or has made disciples of the Lord Jesus among members of the imperial household who are thus on the Philippians side in the struggle against those who proclaim Caesar as Lord. And the 16th century uh, reformer Jean Calvin spiced up the language a bit more when he wrote about this. He says in these salutations, Paul names, all the saints in general, the whole, that is the whole church in Rome, but chiefly those of the household of Nero, a thing well deserving to be noticed. For it is no common evidence of divine mercy that the gospel had made its way, made its way into that sink of all crimes and iniquities. It is also the more to be admired in proportion as it is a rare thing for holiness to reign in the courts of sovereigns. Don't we know that? So Paul says, glory be to God. 
God's glory surrounds us and fills us everywhere, even at the heart of the empire. Then we read perhaps Paul's greatest wish for all disciples of Christ, his last line to the the Philippians. And if you notice that verse 20 has to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen, which is usually the end of things. But then there's another greet all this. And then this last line to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. There's a a thinking that um, most of the letters that were from Paul, the, the bulk of the actual letter writing was probably done by a scribe. But we know that at least in some of his letters, because he, he says it, um, he, he wrote the very last bit himself uh, with his own handwriting. And so we think that that might be what is happening here. But he, he ends the very last line to the brothers and sisters in Philippi is, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of all the things Paul could have wished for them. It is this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul could have wished them strength. Gordon Fee actually notes that at the time, uh, most Greek letter writers ended with the phrase, be strong. Paul could have chosen that because he was writing to people in Greece. But Paul specifically chooses grace. And by grace... Paul means the fullness of the grace of Jesus Christ, the absolutely unmerited love that God lavishes on us through the beauty and the bounty of the whole of creation, through the mystery and complexity of any life at all, through the hope and the joy of the fullness of life in the kingdom of God forever and ever, none of which have we created or earned on our own? It is all grace. And it, this grace comes to us through and in Jesus Christ. Jesus being born at all was pure gift. The life on earth Jesus lived, including all that he revealed in his actions and all that he taught us, all of it is pure gift. The resurrection to new life that offers us a way to reconcile with God. The Holy Spirit who mysteriously incorporates us into the life of Jesus. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. All of that is pure gift from and in our Lord Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Anointed One. One last comment from Gordon Fee. The final greetings of the Philippians, you'll notice, were, are, are to be given and received as in Christ Jesus. And the final grace is also from the Lord Jesus Christ. So that the whole letter, from beginning to end, and everywhere in between, focuses on Christ. To miss this central focus on Christ would be to miss the letter altogether and to miss the heart of Pauline theology. And it's not just the heart of Pauline theology, it's the heart of of all the writers 
of the New Testament. We heard that in our gospel passage. It's the heart of John's own theology. The word was in the world. Not everyone recognized this, though, especially those to whom he came specifically. And yet, to those who do recognize and who did recognize and received Christ, he gave them the right to become children of God. He goes on, uh, John testified concerning, oh wait, excuse me, uh, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, because the, the most concentrated glory that God reveals to us is in Jesus Christ, coming full of grace and truth. And then from the fullness of his grace, the NIV translates it, we have all received one blessing after another, but it's literally we have received grace upon grace. It's all grace, all from Jesus. That is the heart of Paul's theology. It's the heart of all of the New Testament writers. And this is Paul's most fervent wish for the Philippians and for us. As the message translates this last line, receive and experience the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ deep, deep within yourselves. God's glory and the grace of Jesus Christ surround us and fill us. This Thanksgiving, probably more than any Thanksgiving in the history of this country, we need to receive and experience the glory of God and the grace of Christ deep within us. I mean, frankly, Thanksgiving had already been losing some of its luster. Over the last decade or so, we have, I believe appropriately, stripped the holiday of a lot of its mythology. Indigenous voices and history have helped us to see a much more complex and darker picture of those early years of contact. More attention has been given to the grief and the strife for individuals and families that can be compounded by the whole commercialized version and mythological version of the holiday. And the growing divide, especially in this country, of those with wealth and those without has exposed a coldness of heart in our society that makes a consumptive celebration hard to swallow. So for many of us, Thanksgiving had already become at least problematic. But this year, this year, in addition to the continuing destructive belligerence of Trump and the cowardice and hypocrisy of the GOP leadership, in addition to that, we add the overwhelming devastation of the virus and the coronavirus impact. Family and friends of over a quarter million people will be at Thanksgiving without a specific loved one for the first time. A parent, a child, a brother or a sister, a grandma or a grandpa, and all the rest of us who take this virus seriously will at least sit at tables much smaller or emptier than years past. Like Paul, we don't know when 
we will see each other again face to face. Nor do we know who will be at the table next year at Thanksgiving. So I have found myself over and over again this week personally clinging to Paul's closing words to the Philippians. And as your pastor, praying fervently for you all that these words will be true for you now and always. May God reveal to each of us the glory of God and the grace of Jesus Christ that truly does surround us and fill us forever and ever. Amen.